0: hey uh, just looking around real quick this is a pretty adult sermon parents in fact this is probably about as adult as you can possibly get and i'm probably certifiably insane to preach it uh chapter 3 verse 27 of the book of second kings you know uh this is our 18th sermon in what i formerly called a a (laughs) mini-series jesus everywhere (laughs) seven months ago as i contemplated this series jesus everywhere i had one particular verse in mind but for seven months i've been too terrified to to preach it but last time we preached on the fire that consumes the sacrifice and we asked this question is our god a bloodthirsty god and we talked about the meaning of sacrifice. And so after the, the sermon, I thought, hey, maybe I could do it now. Maybe I could preach 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 27. But I'm telling you, we better pray. So let's pray. <laughs> Lord God, I pray that you would help us to preach your heart. Father, what exactly was going on in the heart of old King Mesha of Moab 2,000 some odd years ago, I, I suppose d- doesn't really matter. But Lord God, what was going on in your heart on Mount Calvary 2,000 years ago? Well, Lord God, I, I suppose nothing matters more. Scripture says fear is the beginning of wisdom. So Lord God, I guess I pray that you would help us to, to fear And then scripture says that perfect love casts out fear. So, uh, Lord God, I pray that you would send your wisdom to cast out that fear. Lord God, I pray that we would fall in love with you the way you have fallen in love with us from the foundation of the world. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. In 2 Kings chapter 3, Jehoram, the pretty much... um, good king of, of Israel, asks no, the, the bad king of Israel, Jehoram, asks Jehoshaphat, hey Bert, the pretty much good king of uh, Judah, to help him attack Moab. King Mesha of Moab had paid tribute to Israel uh, in the form of 100,000 lambs and 100,000 rams like every, every year, but rebelled sometimes around, uh, around 853 B.C. So get the picture. Israel is going to war, demanding lambs and rams from Moab. And Jehoshaphat agrees. So Judah joins Israel, um, attacking Moab. And so the kings of uh, Israel, Judah, and Edom. You can see, I forgot my pointer, but you can see it on that map. Israel up above uh, grabs the king of Judah and then the king of Edom, and they make a seven-day circuitous journey around the southern tip of the Dead Sea to attack the kingdom of Moab. In the process, they run out of water and think that they're going to die until Elisha the prophet shows up and agrees to prophesy because King Jehoshaphat is in the group. He prophesies that the Lord will miraculously provide water and then in verse 18, Elisha says this, this is a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will also give the Moabites into your hand and you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall fell every good tree, and stop up all the springs of water, and uh, ruin every good piece of land with stones. The next morning, about the time of the offering of the sacrifice, see, every morning and every evening they would offer a lamb, which ironically is what they're going to war over to take lambs from their neighbor. Uh, The next morning, about the time of the offering, of the sacrifice, behold, water came from the direction of Edom till the country was filled with water. When all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, all who were able to put on armor, from the youngest to the oldest were called out and were drawn up at the border. And when they rose early in the morning and the sun shone on the water, the Moabites saw the water opposite them as red as blood. And they said, this is blood. The kings have surely fought together and struck one another down. Now now then Moab to the spoil, Moab to the spoil. But when they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose and struck the Moabites till they fled before them and they went forward, striking the Moabites as, as they went. And they overthrew the cities and on every good piece of land every man threw a stone until it was covered they stopped every spring of water and felled all the good trees till only his stones were left in Kir Haraseth and the slingers surrounded and attacked it so like Elisha had prophesied God delivers Israel and he gives the Moabites into their hand Israel Judah and Edom now surround the fortified city of Kir Haraseth. They lay it under siege. Next verse. When the king of Moab saw that the battle was going against him, he took with him 700 swordsmen to break through, opposite the king of Edom, but they could not. Then he took his oldest son, who was to reign in his place, and offered him for a burnt offering upon the wall. In order to, to save his city and his people, he sacrificed his firstborn son on the city wall. That, that's terrifying it's clear that the author of 2 kings jeremiah according to tradition is clear that that he views the sacrifice of children to pagan deities as an absolute abomination leviticus 18 and 20 make it clear that any israelite who sacrificed a child to Moloch, the the god of the ammonites was to be put to death well the god of moab was was Chemosh. And this is fascinating, but in uh, 1868, this stone called the Moabite stone was found in, in Jordan. On it, King Mesha of Moab describes his victories over Israel. And how his god Chemosh was satiated or intoxicated with the blood of the Israelites. Scholars like to point out that Chemosh looks an awful lot like Yahweh, and yet the biblical authors make it clear that Chemosh is like the exact opposite of of Yahweh. Chemosh demanded sacrifices. Yahweh demanded sacrifices, but, but, but is our God bloodthirsty? The way Chemosh is bloodthirsty. I found this quote attributed to Richard Dawkins, the the atheist, he writes, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a a vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser. Bloodthirsty. You know, last time we watched clips from that movie uh, Apocalypto, and asked, is our God bloodthirsty? Uh, The way Kukulkan, the Mayan snake deity, is bloodthirsty. Is he bloodthirsty? Because I think sometimes even we New Testament Christians, we portray him that way. Like, he was so angry and so furious over our sin that he just thirsted uh, for our blood. But instead, he drank Jesus' blood and felt better about us. Is our God bloodthirsty? Like Kimosh or Kukul Khan? Demons are bloodthirsty. Like that. P- Paul says that when pagans offer to idols, they offer to demons. Satan and his demons lust for blood. The life is in the blood, and so his followers drink blood. It's, it's terrifying. My friend Andrew Terrick, uh, told me about one of his evangelism trips to India. I think this was about 20 years ago. After they preached the gospel, had a service, this young woman grabbed our friend Phil. Weeping and sobbing, she she cried to him. She said, if only I would have heard this news one day earlier, my baby would be alive. Yesterday, I sacrificed my baby Andrew said she, she probably sacrificed the baby to bloodthirsty Shiva like Khan, like Kimosh, like the gods of this world. So do you think our God is a God of this world? <sighs> I hope not. Do you, ever, do you ever wonder, God, why, why do you even allow this, this world? Why do you tolerate such broken, uh, uh, dirty soil? this such a broken and, and dirty world. Why do you tolerate such broken and dirty people? And then I uh, reflect on the question and I reflect upon me and my nice house, having my nice dinner while millions of children starve around the world and the question changes to why do you tolerate me? Well, anyway, back to our story. Uh, And would, hey, Kathleen, would you shut that door for a minute? The cry of children in the background is just a little too much for this sermon. So in desperation, on the city wall, King Mesha sacrifices his firstborn son, who was to reign in his place. And at this point, I expect the armies of Israel, powered by the very wrath of God, to just destroy Moab and send them all to hell, right? 2 Kings three twenty-seven. Then he took his oldest son, who was to reign in his place, and offered him for a burnt offering upon the wall. And there came great wrath against Israel. And they withdrew from him and returned to their own land, literally the land, Eretz, the the promised land. But but did did you catch that? Translators are like desperate to translate it out if you read different translations. Commentators offer just a slew of contradictory explanations. I think it's incredible evidence that the Bible is authentic because no Israelite in their right mind would even concoct such a story. At best only record such a story as if to say, what the heck was that? What was that? Israel is on a mission from God, right? Elisha said it. He's given them into your hand. Uh, On a mission from God to conquer Moab, the king of Moab sacrifices his son on the wall and great wrath comes on Israel?" Some argue it's the great wrath of Chemosh, which then implies that Yahweh is beat up by some two-bit demon god in in Moab. Some say it's the great wrath of the the Moabites who get so worked up over the sacrifice of of the king's son, even though they just witnessed the sacrifice of 700 soldiers uh, at the hands of the Edomite warriors. Some say the great wrath was Judah's wrath at Israel. You know, like for getting them into this mess. Like they're fighting every single They go, oh, God, now this is really getting gross. And so they attack Israel. Some say the great wrath means great indignation. So it's Israel, Judah, and and Edom's indignation, meaning that they were so sickened by this bloodshed that that they just left, as if they weren't already sickened by the massive carnage that they themselves had inflicted on the entire nation of of Moab. Kyle and Delish is the premier classic scholarly commentary on, on the old... Testament. They, they argue that the great wrath has to be God's wrath. For that phrase, the wrath against is only used in the Old Testament for, for God's wrath. And then they say God's wrath turned on is, Israel, postulating that it happened because Israel forced Mesha to make such a horrid sacrifice. And, and you know, maybe that's kind of true. And, and yet, God said through Elisha, I've given them into your hands. I mean, it's like God literally set them up. Set them up to take life. So Mesha would offer life and Israel would witness the wrath of God against them. Sacrifice is made, Moab is saved, Israel is saved, Judah is saved, Edom is saved, and they all go home. Kind of reminds me of that incredible scene in the Revelation where all the war horses grind to a halt in a sea of blood. It's lamb's blood. Now, I haven't found one modern commentator that even suggests what I'm about to suggest to you. So please, please feel free to disagree with me, okay? It'll go better for me on Judgment Day if you kind of always do do that. (laughs) But but I'm wondering, I'm just wondering if God looked down at the sacrifice of old King Mesha and saw something that he recognized, something that he valued, uh, something growing in that most broken, depraved, and dirty of all soil, I mean, just think about sacrifice for a minute. It can look like the greatest evil and and yet somehow be good. And when we see the good, it's almost always, or maybe it has to be surrounded by incredible evil. Think about your favorite movies. I bet each one of those movies contains a great sacrifice in the midst of great evil. I'll never let go, I promise. show clips like that all day huh you see sacrifice isn't only the very worst thing <laughs> it's like the very best thing Jesus said greater love has no man than this that he laid down his life for his friends I know what you're thinking. Yeah, but Peter, uh, King Mesha didn't lay down his life; he laid down his son's life. That's not his life. You sure? You know, especially in that society. Your firstborn son, especially one that was already designated to reign in your place, that son uh, was your life. That son was the father's life, his perpetual life. Nothing was more loved, nothing was more valuable than a firstborn son, and I don't know about you, and this certainly isn't to my credit, but I would rather sacrifice myself a thousand times over than my son. I can think of no greater sacrifice And old King Mesha made that sacrifice, if he really loved his son. Whatever the case, a real sacrifice must represent your, your life somehow and be a life that you love. Unless you love, what you sacrifice is not real sacrifice, it's just murder or suicide so you see kukulkan Kemosh, and satan really don't love sacrifice they just lust for murder they don't love what you love in your favorite movie they hate it in fact they hate that murder is transformed into sacrifice they hate that Jack just didn't drown in the ocean but instead he sacrificed for Rose They hate that Gandalf wasn't just murdered by the Balrog, but he sacrificed for the love of of the Fellowship, the Fellowship of the Ring in Middle Earth. They hate that William Wallace didn't just die, but sacrificed for the freedom of Scotland. They hate that Harry Potter didn't just run and hide in the dark, but sacrificed to save the world from evil Voldemort. You know, we all must die but you can choose to sacrifice, and that's life. Lose your life and you'll find it, said Jesus. And we all lose loved ones, right? I mean, that's kind of what walking through this world seems to be about, things die. We lose loved ones, we lose things, and, and, and we can be resentful or we can choose to turn them into an offering. Worship, the things we've loved and lost. Israel was to only sacrifice things they loved and things God loved. Does, does God love children? <laughs> of such consists the, the kingdom of, of God, said said Jesus. And so have, have you ever thought about this? I mean, who was waiting? Uh, for that child of the Indian woman on the other side of that burning door? Who who was waiting for the son of King Mesha on the other side of the burning door? Was it Chemosh? Or the boy's creator? And let me be really clear, God absolutely hates the thought of you harming your children in any way. In the New Testament, children are never sacrificed like Mesha's son was sacrificed. Well, they're baptized in hope that they would die with Jesus and rise with Jesus. In the Old Testament, God forbids the sacrifice of children to Molech. Hey, um, do you remember the story of Jephthah in Judges chapter 11? That'll rock your world. He, he makes a vow to the Lord in order to save the people of Israel from Chemosh and his soldiers, his servants. He vows that if God gives Israel victory, he'll sacrifice the first thing to walk out of the door when he returns home. God gives him victory, and when he returns home, his daughter, his only daughter, the daughter that he loved, dances out of the door with tambourines to greet him with song and kisses. And when she discovers what her father had vowed, this is what she says, Daddy, you have to fulfill your vow to the Lord and so in absolute agony Jephthah sacrifices his daughter to Yahweh why did God let Jephthah go through with that why didn't he stop that why well well, clearly 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 Jephthah was an idiot right I mean, he should have never made a vow like that. He should have never made a covenant like that. I mean, can you think of anyone else in all of history, of all the Bible, that ever made a covenant like that, a vow like that? Offer oh, my firstborn son to save my people, and then the firstborn agrees? Well, if Jephthah was an idiot, Abraham was not. Abraham didn't make the vow. God made the vow, a covenant. In Genesis 15, God confirms it with a sacrifice, saying, you are blessed to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth, Adam, Abraham. You you, and uh, they're, they're gonna be blessed through you with a promised seed, an only begotten son. To you, Abraham, a son, through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And, and you know the story. After all those years, the trauma, the drama, the miraculous conception, when Abraham is is an old man, Genesis chapter 22, verse two. God says, Abraham, and Abraham says, here I am. Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac. It means laughter. Take your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Oh, did, did you know it was on that mountain that Solomon built the temple? And it was on that mountain that Jesus the Christ was crucified. And it's on that mountain. Actually, that mountain is the foundation of Jerusalem, city of peace. Well, anyway, Abraham did it. And Isaac did it as well. They journeyed up that mountain together. Old Abraham held the knife above his son's head, the son he loved, whom God had promised to reign in his place. He held that knife above his son, ready to plunge it into the body of his child. Hey, did, did you know that um, Abraham's nephew was named Lot. And one of Lot's sons was named Moab. And that means that King Mesha of Moab was like the great, 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 great nephew of Abraham. I wonder if he knew Abraham's story. Whatever the case, Israel knew Abraham's story. To this day, God identifies himself as the God of Abraham, as if God is saying, there's one man, there's one man who knows my heart, knows my passion, trusts my love, and his name is Abraham. I am the God of Abraham. And so Abraham held the knife, fully prepared to let it fall when The angel of Yahweh stopped his hand and God provided a ram. That's a a full-grown lamb. God provides the rams and the lambs. God provided a a lamb and the angel of Yahweh, this weird God-man figure in the Old Testament, he says this, because you have done this and have not withheld your only son, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Oh. That would include Moab. I'm just saying, maybe Mesha sacrificed the son he loved to save the nation that he loved. So, So even though it was the wrong thing to the wrong God, perhaps it was love. And he who loves is born of God and knows God, for God is love, writes John. Perhaps it was just like a little bit of faith in love. Even if only the size of like a seed or a mustard seed, like a like a promised seed. So so anyway, Mesha sacrificed his son. And there was no lamb, no substitute. And yet maybe there was. Jeremiah prophesies, 48, 47, yet I will restore the fortunes of Moab in the latter days, declares the Lord. I mean, maybe Mesha and his son will meet the angel of Yahweh and the lamb in, in the latter days on the other side of the burning door. Well, this is something to think about. Who is that lamb that was sacrificed in isaac's place well well, that lamb wasn't only sacrificed in isaac's place that lamb was sacrificed in your place that lamb is the lamb that takes away the sin of the world that lamb saves the world that lamb is the only begotten son of god the father the only begotten who will sit on his father's throne and reign in his place that lamb is the life of the father given for us and given to us. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is the life. The way, the truth, the life. Jesus is the life of God, given to his enemies in order to make them his friends. Jesus, from the bosom of the Father, the heart of God. It was the heart of God, the Father, that was crucified on Mount Moriah. And in this is love, 1 John four ten. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And what are our sins? Well, are they not all an inability to love? Are they not all a refusal to bleed for somebody else? So God sent Jesus, his son, to bleed for us and even in us. Well, the passion of the Christ is the passion of, of God the Father. So maybe, maybe, just maybe, 2,850 some odd years ago, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit looked down on the ancient walled city of Kira, Kira Seth in, in Old Moab and saw, saw something. Maybe he looked down and saw something like this. You know, I I think the thing that really terrifies us is not the bloodlust of the false god we call Satan. Because we're we're familiar with that. It's the way of of this world, survival of the fittest, literally consuming life, plants, meat, blood, consuming life to stay alive and, and then we only die. I think the thing that really terrifies us is not the bloodlust of the false God, Satan, but the unrestrained, unbounded, relentless, and eternal love of God the Father. (laughs) Love like that. See, maybe a sacrifice like that. Maybe passion like that lies at the very foundation of all reality. Maybe the lamb is slain from the foundation of the world. And maybe the lamb is the word from the bosom of the Father spoken into the void, creating all things. And even now, that slaughtered lamb, the only begotten Son of God, stands on a throne, reigning in his Father's place, unwrapping the scroll of time and giving meaning to all things, including us. Especially us those who right now are being made in his image maybe all creation is 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 a setup for a sacrifice in order that we would see him enthroned upon his cross and be made in his image maybe this is the plan for the fullness of time to unite all things all things in him making peace by the blood of his cross so maybe this world of evil and pain is really like a broken and dirty field and maybe our hearts are like a broken and dirty field but the eternal seed the promise seed the life of christ is planted in that very field such that this temporal field of death, decay and sin bears the eternal fruit of faith, hope, love and life. I remember last time we talked about this. Faith, hope and love are all a sacrifice. Life itself is a sacrifice, literally sacrifice. My life consists of each member of my body constantly giving and receiving life. In other words, each member constantly bleeding one into the next, the circulation of of my blood. Scripture says it over and over, the life is in the blood. If, If a part of my body refuses to bleed for the next part of my body, If it hangs on to the blood as a possession, if it refuses to lose blood, it will not receive blood. Like if I hang on to my life, I lose it. And if I lose it, I find it. You see, maybe I am destined to be part of a greater life. Even God's life, Christ's life, Christ's body. Maybe everyone sacrifices in heaven. Like every part of my body constantly bleeds into the next part of my body and and so my body does not hurt. (laughs) That's when it's healthy. Maybe no one hurts in heaven because everyone bleeds, everyone sacrifices in heaven. but no one gets crucified in heaven. (laughs) We have to see that here. And maybe we must see it here in order to live it there. And so at the cross, God himself offered himself and bled for each one of us, each one of us bloodthirsty and refusing to bleed. At the cross, God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bled for each one of us so that seeing it, we might receive it and we might ourselves become it, a person that loves in freedom in the very image of God. So maybe, 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 I don't know, okay? I don't know, but maybe, 2850 some odd years ago, God looked down on the ancient walled city of Kir Haraseth in Moab and saw love. And his heart began to burn with love, and that love burned Israel, burned Israel's shame. For as they looked upon the wall of Kir Haraseth, they remembered their father. Abraham, and the spirit foretold of their father, Yahweh, and his sacrifice before the wall of their city, Jerusalem. Uh, Maybe, I don't know, but maybe God looked down and discerned his image. And here's the weird thing. Maybe we don't. Maybe we don't. Because maybe in the words of 2 Timothy, we hold the form of godliness, but deny its power, its passion, its substance. Maybe we say the name of Jesus, but we have forgotten what it means, God saves maybe we talk about love but no longer sacrifice our lives and so no longer no love maybe we're used to always taking us americans we're used to always taking and 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 never giving so maybe we think our religion is simply a way to take christ's life and and never give our life maybe we think our religion is like a a club and so old king mesha of moab because he had no certificate of membership, because he did not know the code words in, in English. Well, well, he's not in the club, and so God must hate him. Um, God must not love him or his people, and so will damn them to just endless hell. And you know it's true. There is no name under heaven by which a man must be saved. And it is also true that Jesus is the way. He's the only way. I mean, that's the, that's the text. Jesus is literally the way. But it's also true that he is the life. And he is the truth and the light that enlightens all men, John 1, verse 19. And you see, that means the way gets around. He gets around, he even descends into hell, and so it would not surprise me at all if if he did some time in Moab. But make no mistake, Chemosh and our God are not the same. In the last book of the Chronicles of Narnia, there's this stable door, that is the burning door. It, it is the judgment of God. Just inside the door is a, a great banquet, but some, some only see hay and, and water, like some only see bread from Costco and, and wine from Tipsy's. <laughs> well, in the story, the children pass through the door into the new creation. And at one point, um, everyone is surprised to find a soldier of Kolormine. Um, a servant of Tash. Now Colormine in Narnia is like Moab. And Tash is its demon god like Chemosh. They're all surprised, but none more than this servant of Tash. He he finds the the children and he tells them that on walking through the door, entering into the new world, he he expected to see his, his god Tash. But then he's utterly surprised when he sees the most incredible and glorious lion. And you know that Jesus is the lamb and the lion. He's the lion of Judah. He's Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia. So in terror, this soldier realizes Tash is not God this lion is god then i fell at his feet the soldier says to the children and i thought surely this is the hour of death for the lion who is worthy of all honor will know that i have served tash all my days and not him nevertheless it is better to see the lion and die than to be ruler of the whole world than live without having seen him But the glorious one, this soldier says, the glorious one bent down his golden head and he touched my forehead with his tongue and he said, son, son, you are welcome. But I said, alas, Lord, I am no son of yours, but the servant of Tash. He answered, child, all the service you have done to Tash, I account as service done to me. Then by reason of my great desire for wisdom and understanding, I overcame my fear and questioned the glorious one and said, Lord, Lord, is it then true that, that, that you and Tash are one? Oh, the lion growled so that the earth shook, but his wrath was not against me. And he said, it is false not because he and I are one, but because we are opposites, I take to me the services which you have done to him. For I and he are of such different kinds that no service which is vile can be done to me, and none which is not vile can be done to him. Therefore, if any man swear by tash and keep his oath for the oath's sake, it is by me that he is truly sworn, though he know it not. And it is I who reward him. And if any man do a cruelty in my name, then though he says the name of Aslan, it is Tash whom he serves, and by Tash his deed is accepted. Do you understand, child? I said, Lord, you you know how much I understand. But I said also, for the truth, the truth constrained me. Yet I have been seeking Tash all my days. Beloved, said the glorious one, unless your desire had been for me, You would not have sought so long and so truly, for all will find what they truly seek. So what do you seek? God? God is love. And he who loves is born of God and knows God, but he who does not love does not. No God. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty works in, in, in your name? And I will say to them, says Jesus, depart from me. I never knew you. And others will say, Well, when did we give a cup of cold water to you? And, um, when did we see you sick or in prison and, and and come visit you? And and the king on the throne, on that throne will say, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. God is love, and he who loves is born of God and knows God, but he who does not love does not know God. And and in this is love, that, that God gave his life. The life is Jesus. All false gods take the life. And our God gives the life. Our God is love. You know, that train movie is based on, uh, it was made in Czechoslovakia, I think, in, or the Czech Republic in like 2003, but it's based on a supposedly true story from our country, uh, 1937, in Miss, Mississippi. John Griffith took his only son Greg to work with him at a drawbridge on the, on the Mississippi River. You've probably heard me tell the story. I've heard other people tell the story. Having lost track of the time, he heard the whistle for the Memphis Express that came, I think it was 107 in the afternoon. He, he ran to the control tower, and as he prepared to lower the bridge, he noticed that his son Greg had fallen into the machinery, the mechanism that lowered the, the, the bridge. Greg would die, he realized. Over 400 people on the Memphis Express would die. And so John Griffith, that father, made a judgment. And he issued his judgment. He lowered the drawbridge. Then he stood on the platform, yelled after the train. I've just sacrificed my only son. Do you care? It's quite a story. It's a good story. But you know, it was an accident, not the plan for the fullness of time. It's a great story, but, but the son in the story doesn't freely choose to be sacrificed. It's a great story, but the father and son in that story don't madly love, furiously, relentlessly love everyone on the train. And, and everyone on the train was not bloodthirsty. It's a great story, but only a distant shadow of the story. Mesha, Jephthah, Abraham, John, Griffith, even the woman in in India, they're all just a a distant, faint shadow of this. That on the night he was handed over, delivered up, the only begotten Son of God, firstborn, Uh, Of all creation, firstborn from the dead, the only begotten Son of God took bread and he broke it saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. And in the same manner, after supper, and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant. In my blood, my blood, drink it. hey, maybe this is the thing that we've missed. I mean, maybe this is the problem that that we have. Who is the bloodthirsty false God who always seeks to take life? That's us. And who is the true God who arranges all things in order to give life? That's our Father. We're the bloodthirsty ones. We're the bloodthirsty ones, and so we judge each other. We condemn each other, we compete with each other, we take from each other, and we consume others. Thirsty for life, we drink their life, which is not life, but death, for they are not the source of life. They are just another thief of life, hanging on to life, hanging on to life that's already dead, for it no longer circulates through the heart. But at this table, On the edge of a new world, at the wall of the eternal city, God says, drink my life. Do you even begin to understand how much I love you? How desperately I want you to take my life drink uh, my life I give you my life and so at the cross we take his life and at the cross he gives his life he forgives his life saying please take drink I am the eternal fountain of life and you are thirsty please drink and your sin is transformed into grace, transformed into life. Once we see his life and receive his life, we begin to give his life. No longer hanging on to life, but living life, living Christ's life, eternal life, abundant life. In other words, we stop going to war with Moab. And we go home to the promised land where everyone gives, where everyone loves, and everyone drinks the very life of the living God. Let's pray. Lord God, we confess to you that we are takers of life, In other words, we confess to you our sin. And yet, Lord God, that sin is not a surprise to you. You were the one that created that garden. You were the one that put the tree in the middle of the garden. Lord God, you knew that the snake was in the garden. You wanted to show us something. You wanted us to show us that, that, that we are your creation. I, I think that's what you wanted to show us, Father, isn't it? And we think we are our own creation. And so, Lord God, we confess to you that we are the takers of life, but you are the giver of life, and you love to give your life because you love to create us in your image, sons and daughters, like Jesus. And so, Lord God, you, you are terrifying because you're good. So, Lord God, we confess our fear, and we invite you, perfect love, To cast it out that we might be free to love as you have loved us in jesus name now we worship lord you have sacrificed everything for us and so now together we say it we present ourselves as living sacrifices in jesus name because father we see it you are good Dark cups are wine, the light cups are juice. I should come forward, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, and worship Him with the sacrifice of praise. Amen. Mm-hmm. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The very next line in John is this. John writes, beloved, if God loved us like that, maybe we ought to love each other like that. If Jesus bled for us like that, Maybe you ought to bleed for each other like that. And now let me ask, when you bleed, whose blood are you bleeding? It's his. It's always been his. And so you don't need to hang on to it. You don't need to possess it. It's not yours to possess. It's yours to give. It's given to you and it's given from you. You are part of of the body of Christ and and he knows he knows from this side of the burning door from this side of the table it looks terrifying but from the other side of the table is the kingdom of God from this side of the table it looks like well, it looks like I'm um, pain And from this side of the table, it's ecstasy. When one person sacrifices, it looks like a cross. When two people sacrifice, it looks like a marriage. When everybody sacrifices, it's a party called the kingdom of God. And so in Jesus' name, trust the heart of your heavenly Father. Receive his love and give his love. In Jesus' name. Amen.